0: Hello, it's another Blue Earth Summit podcast. I'm Lauren Esbitt, and on today's pod, I talk to Phil Young, a leader in all things sports and culture. We get straight to the point by discussing the significance of holding Blue Earth Summit in Bristol and its historical significance as a port in the slave trade, which has shaped Bristol to be the multicultural capital of the Southwest. Understanding how to turn up in the outdoors as your authentic self is a key thread running through our conversation. Hi Phil, thank you for joining us on the podcast today. You're
1: welcome, it's great to be here Laura, thank you for inviting me.
0: When we spoke on the phone the other day about Blue Earth Summit, um, you said that the only people of colour who are at the Blue Earth Summit were the people who sat on the panel for your conversation about who owns the outdoors and also the people who man the doors or were janitors.
1: There were also black people running the toilets and, and bizarrely they were the only black people getting paid there which I thought was quite interesting.
0: So what should Blue Earth Summit be doing for this year?
1: First of all we have to look at where Blue Earth Summit was was being held which is Bristol, and I just imagine most people out there know some of the history of Bristol and its position as a as a port within the slave trade. There's a, a huge multicultural community in Bristol, responsible for music and food and fashion and, and creating the, the city that it is, the wonderful city that it is, full of full of culture and vibrance and lots of lots of magical things. My question to Blue Earth Summit organisers yesterday is why? Why were none of those people there? Why, in a city where is probably one of the largest cities with the black and brown community in the UK, it was nobody invited? I think probably the the financial barrier was there. I'm not entirely sure how much the tickets cost, but it was probably fairly expensive. And I should imagine that was done on on purpose to have a certain type of person there. And I totally understand that from a from an event and a commercial <laughs> perspective. But if if we're looking to talk about sustainability and environmental issues around the world, we really need to be talking to the world, not just a privileged few people. So to, to answer your question, what should they be doing? They should be reaching out to the people in the local community, in, in Bristol, in London, in Manchester, in Birmingham, so they represent the whole of the uk not just privileged few who can afford the ticket to come along because remember if you if, if we want if we want to save the planet we need the planet on board not just a few people and i think that's what's happening you know from the conversations that i've been having they've taken that on board and i I've, i fully appreciate that on the first year there are going to be mistakes and there are going to be blind spots in the operational side of things uh, and and the outreach and from my understanding, that there is a desire to include new faces and new voices, new opinions and and new ideas. So I I think the right steps are are being made.
0: Just going back to the point about it being hosted in Bristol, obviously lots of things have been happening in Bristol in the last couple of years around the um, Black Lives Matter movement. And how do you think that's helped move things forward and, and change things?
1: Being a person of colour in the UK... we we aren't we aren't heard we have to shout we have to smash things up we have to make noise until anyone hears us I mean and and history has shown us that that if we just if we just behave and do what people want us to do nothing ever gets done you look at the the history and I'm just I'm going to talk facts here you know is that historically if you look at people from the Afro-Caribbean community which the the majority of black people in, in Bristol are the only reason they're in the UK is because because they were invited over in the in the late forties, early fifties from the Caribbean. And the only reason they were in the Caribbean is because the people in Bristol sent them there in the first place, out of Africa, to the Caribbean. So they so they, they brought them to the UK or they were invited to the UK to help rebuild the country after the war. You know, they invited they invited people from all over the Commonwealth. Uh, and, and people, people from Europe, you know, people. In fact, the only people who had to pay for their own voyage were people from the Caribbean. The Europeans who came over, the Polish who came over, for example, were paid to come over. The people from the Caribbean were invited to come over if they wanted to. They had to make their own way over and pay. When they arrived, the jobs and the, the promise of, of work and housing just wasn't there, and they weren't they weren't received. In the way that um, they were promised, they were pushed into areas, well, slum areas, but places that no one else wanted to live in and, and, and told to be quiet and do the jobs no one else wanted to do. That's been the case pretty much ever since. It's very difficult, I think, for, for black and brown people to, to work out themselves out of that perception in the UK that they are just the second class citizen that lives in the poor part of town so are are people listening I think people are starting to listen we've been having this conversation about about representation about being heard about the the rights of people of color since well, like you know, 50 60 70 years since people first started being invited over but it hasn't really hasn't really happened has it? it's only now I think what I see is that because of black lives matter and only because black lives matter coincided with the pandemic because black people have been shot and mistreated over the world since day 1 you know for for centuries black people have been shot by police or killed by police in america beaten up by police in the UK, or get arrested or whatever, stop and search for no particular reason, other than the fact that they're in the wrong part of town and that being the wrong colour. That's happened, we know that happens. the t- statistics back that up, but it was only because that incident with George Floyd being murdered was broadcast across all our social media, all our screens, at a time when people didn't have a nine-to-five rush you know, they weren't living this rat race. They were actually all contemplating their own existence and the fragility of life when there was a, when there was a pandemic going on. And I think for the first time, people went, oh, damn, that's going on. Because they were, they, were, they, were, they were thinking of their own mortality. For one of the first times for a lot of people, the blinkers were taken off and they could look left and right and see some of the injustices that were happening not just in the on the other side of the Atlantic, but but here as well. And as we saw in Bristol, when, when people walk around and see statues celebrating the slavery of their ancestors, people are like, "Enough already!" Because bearing in mind that you know that statue has been tried to be taken down for decades, and no one would listen. No one would listen. So it had to take the actions of not just black people, but white allies. To actually pull that down and throw it in the in the river for people to take notice, because otherwise it would still be there. So, is it changing? Yes, I think people are listening and and things are starting to change. But it, it's hard one. People are only doing it because they're being forced to do it. I don't think if we had George Floyd and and COVID and and, and lockdown, I don't think we would be where we are today. I think the combination of those two things have moved the conversation on a lot faster than we thought, but you know, we're definitely pleased. It's a shame that someone had to be murdered for that to happen, but that is the reality of it, I
0: think. I you know, was kind of watching Black Lives Matter and, and the statue coming down in, in Bristol from a distance, and I was thinking, I felt almost ashamed that I've lived in this area for 20 years but don't really know much about the history of Bristol. And I was starting having conversations with my friends about it. And um, I just kind of felt really sad that actually in education, in history, what I've really been taught about has been very like select, you know, learnt about Henry VIII and the Victorian periods. But actually, when I look at education, I think it's very whitewashed. And I find that really disappointing. So you know, from an educational point of view, do you feel like there are huge gaps that need to start being filled in private and public yeah. education?
1: Of, of of course, it's by design though, isn't it? When I went to school, we were shown the map of the world and all the pink splodges on it, which was the British Empire, We said, hey, look, this is what we own. And we were told to celebrate that fact. What they didn't tell you is, is that... British people went over and the only reason they the only reason those countries are painted pink is because we went there and subjugated the natives or the indigenous population and put them into slavery or, or in some in some instances committed genocide if you look at Tasmania, you know, just totally killed everybody there. You look at India, some of the atrocities that happened in India. But of course, no one wants to talk about that in education. Because if we do, if we do start talking about that and holding our hands up to the atrocities that Britain has committed, we have to question everything else that our so-called leaders are saying to us, and then we have to talk about reparations and the gold that we that we have and the riches that we have and the the money that we've raped from from these from these various countries. And they're very difficult conversations to have and they're not really vote winners are they so I, I think it's very difficult for a government to actually start having those conversations if they want to stay in power so yeah it's by design and it's going to have to be small steps and I think we're taking some small steps at the moment to my mind so I work in you know I work in marketing I work with brands no one listens to the government Really, these days, not—I don't think of our generation. People don't really trust the government. I'm not sure if we can trust our royal family these days, and what what they stand for. So, where do we where do we put our trust? Well, a lot of the time, I think, as you know, you and me on the street, we look to some of the brands out there to say, "Well, we're wearing your clothes, or we're we're believing in your hype." I think they have an awful lot of power to shape how communities and how individuals think there's almost a responsibility you know if someone's someone's charging you 100 pounds 150 pounds for a pair of sneakers or 400 pounds for a Gore-Tex jacket that they want me to wear we know that that jacket doesn't cost 400 pounds to make you know so that someone's making that money but we're still buying it you know there's a responsibility for them for some kind of you know step towards social justice in what they're doing to Keep this world on on track, you know. And and from what I do is is sports is to allow us to to still play on on the terrain that we call a playground, you know. And uh, there is a huge responsibility, but I think that the power that brands have and the messages that they can put out will go a long way to help shape the minds of of the people in this country because you know it's difficult to trust the media.
0: I think most people actually want to. Want to be part of something, so you know, from my point of view in sport, being a swimmer and being a swim coach, the amount of people who have entered the open water cold water swimming domain has increased by a hundred percent because people have felt that they belong to an outdoor community that doesn't you know judge the way they look or the colour of the skin or whether they've got previous experience in that sport. And I guess that sort of inclusion. It is just is so good for people, you know, to feel like they're a part of something bigger than themselves.
1: Well, it's, a, it's it's a great opportunity to start a conversation, isn't it? If you if you have that diverse community coming together around a central theme, in in, in your instance, or it's it's open water swimming or cold water swimming, and there's a certain joy that you can have and a certain celebration in being at one with nature and feeling as 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 though you are doing something that is almost spiritual. There's a great opportunity to say, "Okay, well, let's let's discuss this. What else? What else can we get out of this other than the act of, other than the act of swimming?" And and that's, I think, where a brand can can step in because they do. you are going to need a swimming costume, and you probably need a towel, and you might need a swimming hat or something like that. So you are going to buy, you have to buy those type of things. Let's have a conversation with the consumer at the same time to, to talk about the joy. And, but also let's talk about the impact that we're having when we are going cold water swimming and, and some of the people who can't go cold water swimming. And how can we get more people to do it? And how can we share the enjoyment that we're all feeling rather than just saying, my hat will keep your hair drier than the next hat?
0: Yeah. In your um, personal and professional domain, do you think there's a brand that's really making not just good change, but sustainable change that you think will have longevity for decades to come?
1: I think most brands are talking about it. I mean, there's, there's very smart people running these com- companies. So they they all realise that there is something that needs to be done. The difference being is that some brands actually want to do make a difference. Other brands just feel as though. They should be saying something because that's what the consumer demands. We have the, the the Patagonias and we have the Finisterres of this world. You know, people who will quite happily take a hit on revenue because they feel it's the right thing to do. I'd like to believe that those type of brands, and they're not the only ones, obviously. You know, because there's 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 lots of other people, lots of other brands out there that. May not be operated in the same way, but they're still are still trying to make a difference. No, I mean even if you look at the massive ones like the Nikes and the Adidas or the or the VFCs of these worlds, who you know who the what are they North Face and Vans and and Supreme. I mean, I think they there's there's people in there, and 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 that's that's the rub. It's it's the individuals within these brands really that make the difference. You know there are brand philosophies, and I think a brand like Patagonia has a great brand philosophy of you know what's right and what's wrong. Other other companies have got shareholders and answer to them and have to give a give a dividend every year. But even within those companies, there are individuals that I think know what is right and what is wrong, and and, and will do their utmost to change. You, you you have to be, and you have to find those people who who are genuine in their desire to change the direction. We've all got enough stuff. I really don't need any more. Well, I mean, I'm gonna say that anyone who's listening to, I probably do need more trainers. And, but, <laughs> uh, but do you know what I mean? I, I, there's, there's there's plenty of people with so much less than me, but you know, have such more fulfilling lives than me. So I, I think it's inevitable that somewhere down the line, the act of consuming will change. It, it, it has to because if nothing else, there's not enough wardrobe space in people's in people's houses to to hold all this stuff, and, and 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 no one has huge amounts of disposable income at the moment. So I think brands will need to think about these these things a lot more than they are, and and I think they need to think about it in a in a genuine rather than a tokenistic, you know, less tick boxing and more actually, you know, what can we actually do. Here to make a difference because I think that's what can I, I can only talk about the people that I you know surround myself with, but most of the people that that I know, you know, are conscious about these kind of conversations and these these topics and and, and want to do the right thing and realise that fast fashion is, is is just unsustainable.
0: I worked with mirror on the sea suit project with Finisterre, and on the day it got shot, it. At- to Marine Lake, we were talking about, you know, how the suit came about. And I, you know, I couldn't believe that the original idea and design was a product of a graduate collection maybe, you know, seven or eight years ago, and that it had taken, you know, that long to get off the ground. That's not a knock to Finisterre at all, because probably seven or eight years ago, the sea suit would not have been relevant to things in culture. It would have been innovative, but I don't think it would have had the uptake that it has now. And, you know, for things to change, there almost needs to be more of an acceleration because if it's going to take another seven years for something else to happen, you know, that's, that's five years over a decade. That's, you know, quite a considerable amount of time to keep waiting for things to happen. So do you think, do you think there is an answer to brands accelerating?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting point. You say that, that seven years from uh, from seeing the initial Design to, to fruition. Do we know that seven years ago there wasn't a demand? I'm sure that, I'm sure there probably was, but no one had been thinking about it because modesty uh, and uh, Muslim women were probably not a consideration for outdoor swimming brands. They're just like, well, we don't know any. Why should we make something for it? Doesn't mean it doesn't mean that that people aren't interested. It's just that it's not been offered. It's not been offered to them, and I think that's one of the issues with the whole of outdoor participation. And and, and I, I hear it every day. In fact, I I read a a blog post yesterday by a fairly well known mountaineer, um, and it was I thought it was quite well written actually, but complaining that a certain film festival was too woke because it was including people of colour and trans issues. And parrot issues. It's like, well, that's not what it used to be. What, what, what I think he meant there is that's not how I like it. That's not how we used to do it back in the days, you know. But I, I, I think that the door's been opened now. I think that you know, people of colour, people you know, identify differently or, or present differently, have had a taste of what the outdoors has to offer, and they love it. They love it. They might come with a new narrative, but they they do love it. And why why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't people want to go sailing or surfing or or swimming or mountain biking or trail running or snowboarding? Of course they would. But unless they've been given the opportunity to do it, or unless they've been in in this instance with the sea suit, you know, now there is an opportunity for women who dress modestly to go and to go and do that so there is there's, there's one less barrier that they have to overcome to take part in in that sport i don't i don't i don't think you're right by saying we couldn't have done it 7 years ago we probably probably could have done we would have had to just reached out a little bit harder because amira's already always been there and people like her have always been there but they didn't feel as though that, that was a space that they were able to occupy it. and one of the reasons why that was is because there wasn't a costume that they could wear you know i've set up not not myself but as part of a uh, a couple of other people i've been a co-founder of of a couple of different groups one is called black trail runners that was set up over the over the pandemic another one is called the color collective which is uh, a mountain bike group for diverse communities diverse in color but open open to everybody we've been trail running and mountain biking for years but i've always thought that we've just done it by ourselves but it's, it's we've actually decided to create a community and reached out to various different people. And all of a sudden, we realise there's thousands of people who do this in trail runnings. 7,000 people on our Instagram. Admittedly, they're not all trail runners and they're not all black, but we've got a lot of people of colour who are running trails up and down the country, but have never really connected to each other. you know. And I'm sure that the the, the trail running brands haven't even considered that there's a market there that there's a community there that they can a support push forward and also that they can sell to you know and if and if you're a brand and you can sell to a new community and listen to their needs and their desires and create something that's new and exciting what you're essentially doing is enriching the whole of trail running not just for black trail runners but for everybody because you're getting new ideas and new performance and you know new ways of thinking as I've, as I've said before.
0: Why did you set up black trail runners and you know like not black mountain bikes or?
1: Well I did I, I, I did I, I, I set up both of those I set up black
0: oh, right. and, <laughs> and,
1: and, and, and colour color collective I mean at, at the time we set that up in as a lot of these community groups you know there's Tons of community groups that are set up and they've all set up kind of over lockdown when people had time and thought, OK, well, I'm going out running by myself now. I wonder if there is anyone else out running by themselves and I wonder if any of them are black and let's see if we can just make a few connections. And we have made a few connections and all of a sudden, oh, shit, you're half an hour up the road or you live in this country or you live in you know that part of, of, of the country or well, maybe we should chat and meet up and if there's if there's four of us, maybe there's six of us. And if there's six of us, maybe there's 10 of us. Communities grow when there's a void that, that hasn't been filled. And there was nothing there that was catering to our needs or representing in the way that we saw ourselves. There was nothing authentic about the way trail running was delivered to someone like me. It was traditionally a white middle-aged guy somewhere in the Lake District running 100 miles. No interest, absolutely no interest to me. I live in London. I'm not white. I don't want to run 100 miles. But if I'm talking to people who have got shared lived experiences to me, who can identify with me and, and vice versa, who might not want to run 100 miles but have know some good woods around in South London... There's, there's a conversation that I can have. You've got to remember for a lot of people who have started these community groups, who have potentially wanted to go hiking or running or camping or, or swimming, they've felt slightly nervous about doing that because they will be the individual that doesn't look like everybody else. And they're the individual who doesn't have that high-tech equipment. And they're the individual who don't know those social mores or the traditions or the language They don't have that handbook that's handed down from their father or their grandfather or their brothers and sisters. They're coming into it new and they're coming into it primarily from growing up in a city where they don't know those, the nuances of rural living or outdoor living because they just haven't, they haven't had that. And, and people, I think, struggle to, to maybe understand that. But if you live, uh, let's say you live in East London. So you live in Poplar. I don't you ever been to Poplar? But it's, it's it's concrete everywhere. So there's no real trees. There's the odd park. Sometimes if you're if you're a kid, you're a teenager, black teenager. Let's say you're living in East London. Sometimes you're not allowed in the park because it's in the wrong postcode. So you can't even go in the park. So you don't have you don't have that access to that what limited green space that there is you could live in a high-rise building you don't have a garden what is what is nature what is outdoors for you it might be pigeons could be urban foxes it's probably rats it could be the urban planting that they've got outside your block and that urban planting is going to be vandal proof so it's going to be thorn bushes it's going to be holly bushes not something that you can interact with in fact what it is is is, is fairly hostile to you your parents were brought up there you were brought up there you don't go to the park all you know is concrete now you put that person into the countryside and go there you go it's open to you you can enjoy the countryside like everybody else you might as well put that person on mars because they've got no concept of it no understanding of what it means to engage with nature so it's not it's not that easy but when you're with a group of other people, when you're in a community, it doesn't really matter because we understand how you've grown up. That thinking can apply to, if we're looking, going back to the Blue Earth Summit, it applies to how we look at environmentalism and sustainability, how we have those conversations with new communities. There's no point telling this kid from Poplar that the ice caps are melting. What does he care? Does he care that the ice caps are melting? Got no interest. He's probably never been to the seaside. Even telling there's plastic in the ocean, he doesn't care. You know what? What is his life? What is his existence? What is going to be relevant to him? Well, if he lives in Poplar, right, and uh, he's near, let's say, near the North Circular, for argument's sake, his his main concern is air pollution. That he wakes up in the morning and his asthma's bad. Or he's got a skin rash, or he can't get to sleep at night because it's too noisy you know so let's if we're if we're going to talk and we want everyone on board for the conversations around a blue earth, we have to talk in a language and 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 talk about topics that are going to be relevant to individuals, otherwise you're wasting your time and you're wasting your breath because my guy doesn't care. tell him or her. Something that is going to change his life for the better, and because there's no point in saying these these are these are, these are people who have, who who have had it bad right, whose parents are doing every day everything they can to make ends meet they might be working two or three jobs they haven't got haven't got the money to to buy new mountain bikes or expensive trainers or worry about the packaging it's like yeah but it's it's a third of the price of the stuff that's that comes in cardboard or biodegradable packaging what are you going to choose i mean it's not even a conversation you know what you're going to choose you're going to choose the one that you can afford the conversation is so nuanced and it isn't like oh yeah we have to save the planet You have to do this because it's, it's going to fall on deaf ears if we want to make a difference we have to get everyone on board and we have to get everyone on board with a conversation that is going to be relevant to them
0: do you have do you have children
1: I've got two children.
0: What conversations do you have with them? Like what's relevant to them?
1: They're both mixed heritage children. Luckily we live in London, so that's that's not so much of an issue for them because their friends are from all over the world, you know, their their heritage is their friends' heritage is from all over the world. So that's not such an issue. But when they're away, my daughter's at university, my son is about to start university, you know, and they have a lot of they have a lot of conversations around race and ethnicity and belonging and identity. That's a big issue for them. You know, where do they fit in? Who who is talking to them and, and how are they being represented? Because they, they they fall through the cracks, you know. Who who are they? Well they're not they're not British. Well they are, I mean they've got British passports, but they don't necessarily identify with this the typical British image. You know, they're not Afro Caribbean. Might have gone to the Caribbean a couple of times with them. They're well travelled, but you know their their conversation is really like, who who are they within this country? How do, how do they fit in? What is their relevance for my daughter? Anyway, she's just finishing university. She's done a study on on diversity and what that means for her and people like her outside of the city. Because I know that. Where she goes to university.
0: Where does she go to uni?
1: She goes she goes in in Canterbury, in Kent. Which and, and there's and there's a number of people who are from mixed heritage backgrounds there, who come from London, who are asking themselves similar questions. Do they belong in the outdoors? And and if so, how do they turn up? People want to turn up as themselves, in as as their true selves, in an authentic manner. And 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 they don't see that represented in in the way that they're being sold to
0: i feel like it's so so sad that people don't feel like they can turn up as themselves
1: (laughs) well they can't because you know we're told how we should behave and what we should do and what we should like and how we how we should look and and if and if you don't agree with any of that then who are you what do you do and that that's why i think representation is 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 a huge part of that and if we, we go back to brands again We've, we've seen traditionally it's, it's very much a type of person that we see represented in the outdoors. And if you don't fit into that, do you think, well, is this, is this for me? What we need to consider is authentic representation. You know, some people don't want to get to the top of the mountain. Some people are quite happy prancing around near the, near the bottom. But that's just as good. You know, you can get joy out of that. And I think a lot of people will identify with that. And, and body image, people aren't all, you know, slim and svelte and muscular, but they can still enjoy being outdoors. People don't necessarily want to lose fingers get into the North Pole, you know, which is often celebrated for some unknown reason. You know, let's, oh, look, it was so difficult that he, he lost an arm. What?
0: <laughs> yeah, the struggle was, maybe, worth, maybe it. The struggle easy was worth it. Maybe go an easier
1: way. And great if someone's done something that's incredibly difficult, we should celebrate it. It's not a singular narrative, is it? There's there are other things within being in the outdoors that we can also celebrate that maybe are more attainable. You go you, you go around you go around the world and you go to South America. They're not they're not talking about conquering mountains. They're looking at them as as ancestors. You go to Tibet or whatever you know looking at mountains as deities you go to africa looking at mountains of places that you take your your goats because the the soil is is really fertile and that's the best place for grazing in the spring no one no one else is looking no no one else is looking at saying you've got to climb that but not that way the hard way you're going to climb it the hard way great
0: you can do that but (laughs) I do feel like we it's not the only way yeah we have a tendency to want to be our own like protagonists in stories and you know you see it on social media a lot yeah I I, I'm actually just having a laugh to myself about the amount of white protagonists I could name right now who you know always like want to get to the top first or like need a medal and I myself have fallen into that narrative many times but actually for me now you know completing a you know an extreme ice swim gives me just as much of a kick as jumping into a river and then having a coffee and a piece of cake with some mates you know they're two very different things but i i I enjoy them both but i definitely have um fallen victim to wanting to be my own hero occasionally there's
1: nothing wrong with that my, my, my point is that that's not the only narrative that that can sit alongside several other narratives which can all be celebrated but what we but we don't do that we're starting to do that well, but what we've what we've done historically is 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 championed the person who's overcome hardship to get a goal rather than champion the person who's just having a nice time. And and it's <laughs> almost a it's almost a case of well if you haven't done that, if you haven't suffered, then you haven't done it properly. And I don't I don't really I don't really understand it.
0: If we take the Olympics for instance when you take an athlete who's trained decades, and I'm going to say trained, but in this instance, I'm actually going to say suffering because all elements of training are suffering to some degree. But you almost, you know, when you win that gold, you're the fastest and you've suffered to be it. But I can't imagine anybody just winning a gold and being like, cool, yeah, I just rocked up and had a great time with my mates. It's it's really interesting. But the whole, you know, when you look at brands who associate with the Olympics, they can build stories out of suffering if you like or the years of effort they've gone into it but how does a brand make a story out of just rocking up and having a great time i guess there's something about you know potentially nike saying just do it that could you know link
1: everyone has a story and and it can be very lazy i think just to say the only story worth telling is the person who wins. I don't believe that, you know, not every, not every story is about winners. Sometimes just doing it is enough. I think if brands can't find other stories that doesn't involve suffering, they may need to get some new staff. <laughs>
0: Noted. Noted for if I ever go <laughs> work in a brand <laughs> and end up sitting around a table and, uh, you know, we're praising 20 decades of 5am starts rather than just somebody who turned up and gave it their best shot.
1: <laughs> Why not? I mean, what's I mean, the, the, the majority of people, that's who, that's who it is. People who just give it their best shot. Why not tell their stories? They've, they've all got a story. That story might not be about performance. It might be about... The struggle that they've had in their home life, or the you know a medical struggle, or just a celebration of of nature. Uh, they could be an artist, they could be a musician, they could be a, a chef. They might they could be a poet, and so there's so much more to it than just who is the fastest. It's great. I, I I love seeing fast people. Good on them. But there's more there's more to it than that. And I don't want to be sold something that's going to make that's going to pretend to make me much quicker which it's really not.
0: Do you think that there is enough diversity in teams within brands that can pick up have the potential to pick up on those stories or are currently picking up on those stories?
1: No of course there isn't we know we know there isn't If, if you look at a lot of the outdoor brands it's only it's only now as far as their ambassadors and athletes are concerned that they've decided it's time to to have some diversity and if you actually look at the workforce the workforce is pretty much entirely white the the amount of people who work in the outdoor industry who aren't white in this country is probably I would say a handful.
0: I would feel uncomfortable as a swim coach you know putting on sessions and asking you know just people of colour to come along because I felt like I needed to do my part but actually in a way that's what some brands sort of get wrong is when I guess when they have all white staff and then they say oh we're going to put this event on or this outreach project on or we're going to do this for people of color or mixed heritage and that for me I there's something wrong with that in my mind I don't know if you would agree with that but.
1: The tendency is for brands I think there's people who acknowledge that that they can't move forward on on this anymore. But the tendency of the brain is like, okay, well, what what do these people want? Oh, they they want to learn to swim. Okay, well, we'll teach them how to swim. And we'll teach them how to swim through our lens. You know, this is what we believe swimming. You know, other sports are available, right? But our version of swimming is this. Therefore, we're going to go out and teach them this, our version of swimming. But guaranteed, whatever sport you're doing, within reason, that there are communities out there already doing the work that are already having these, in this instance, swimming lessons. So someone like Ome Dale in, in London, who does swim unity and you know the Black Swimmers Association, people who are already doing that work, rather than go out and say, all right, we're gonna do, we're gonna reach out to loads of black people and get them involved in our swimming lesson why not reach out to the people who are already doing those swimming lessons and say can we work with you and your instructors collectively and leverage the power of our brand to help you do more of the work that you're already doing rather than thinking we can do it better and 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 the worst thing you can do is is get a uh, bring a new person along and give them a bad experience making their first experience a bad experience because then they won't go back again. There's people out there, I would say to to the, the, the brands that are considering that to reach out to the people who are doing the work already. And that's that's not just for swimming, but that goes for environmental issues and whatever. You know, you can apply that thinking to anything.
0: Blue Earth Summit is happening from the 11th to the 13th of October 2022 in the great city of Bristol. We believe in the power of the outdoors to improve our health and further establish purpose-led business. Register your interest at blueearthsummit.com.